Hey everybody, welcome back to the bestofbroads.com comic book podcast. As always, I'm dead. Show today we have Birdie. Good evening. Nico can't be joining us today. And we also do have to start the show off with something kind of heavy. Yeah. So, news came out this past week that Zack Snyder, as well as his wife, Deborah Snyder, were withdrawing from the from the Warner Brothers Justice League movie. The kind of culmination of the DC Extended Universe there. And it's for pretty terrible reasons. So, back in March... The Snyder's, one of the Snyder's uh, kids, their daughter, Autumn, committed suicide. Uh, They did their best to keep things, you know, under wraps, keep things within the family. And after they took some time, Snyder tried to get back to work, just, you know, in in his own words, immerse himself in his work, just kind of distracted from it. But it all came a bit too much for him and his wife to deal with. So the two of them had decided to take time off to be with each other and the rest of their children and just try to as best they can deal with this horrible thing that happened to their family. Yeah. And with that, they, since they have both left the project, um, Warner brothers has passed a control over to Joss Whedon, who will be seeing the movie through the final editing process, as well as, doing some like pickup shots and stuff that they need. Um, according to what I've read so far, uh, the still be following Snyder's template, but yeah, if you listen to any of our shows talking about this stuff, uh, you know, we have some opinions on Snyder, but this, this is just terrible. No, I've I've said repeatedly that I don't like a lot of Snyder's movies. I don't like his aesthetic. I don't like his approach to filmmaking with a lot of this stuff. I have nothing against the man personally, and I mean he's. I just can't imagine how hard this would be for any parent to deal with. Yeah. So, so hearts and minds go out to the Snyder family in this time. Yeah. <sighs> And like, oh, just is the Justice League movie cursed? And I don't know it. I really don't know. Let's move on from that horribly, horribly depressing real stuff and talk about some bullshit like Power Rangers. I don't know. <laughs> yes, real bullshit. Because fucking new issue of Justice League Power Rangers came out. Yeah, and it's all right. Yeah, it's keeping the story going. Brainiac just fucking bottled Angel Grove. Because that's what he does. Yeah, naturally. (laughs) It's really weird right now that one of the kind of bigger characters in like the film space kind of thing is the collector and this thing that's a fucking tie in between people who don't really know what they're doing with movies and something that has kind of fallen apart in terms of a film franchise. Both of them are doing more collecting. (laughs) (sighs) 
Anyway. Wanna get that out of the way want to get that out of the way at the top of the show, just give that kind of the space it needs. Cause it wouldn't really yeah. be because it wouldn't really be good, like, hey, here's our random bullshit. Fuck like, hey, fuck Marvel right now, right? Young Bloods is stupid. But then saying, hey, horrible, really terrible, real, tragic stuff. But then hey, fucking what about what happens when the doomsday clock reaches fucking done? Yeah, no, I've been bad at anything real comics related. It's just that one of my favorite um, uh, kind of indie French Canadian artists, uh, Giselle Lagasse, was trying to get into a convention in Chicago, and the U.S. denied her entry. That I can get angry about, but that's a different issue. That's not really comics related. Yeah. <laughs> Other than you know, fuck Trump. But I've said that enough. I don't think that needs to be repeated. Most comics have said that enough. I think. But anyway, so Birdie, am I leading off? Yes. All right. Well, um, okay. As I said before I started, we started the show that I was going to talk about um, two versions of the same thing. One's good and one's weird. Do you think I should start with the good one or the weird one first? What's the thing that they are? Archie. Mm. I I have a guess at what the good and the weird one are. All right. Well, that'll make this. I read. I read Riverdale issue zero. <laughs> oh, I I forgot that was a thing. Yes. And, uh, so you've watched Riverdale. All the way through season one. Yes, I have. If this comic prequel is an indication of what the series is, it just leaves me lost. How so? Well... I was talking about this in regards to another series that um, Caveman and I are fond of that had a terrible TV adaptation a few years ago, uh, The Dresden Files. (laughs) Oh, right. (laughs) Where there was a couple of things that they did really, really right, but then every other single creative decision is wrong. (laughs) So if I'm reading this correctly... This is CW's take on a on if Riverdale was Twin Peaks. Also, like like yes, and also the people doing it don't understand what Twin Peaks is. Fair enough, but um, so the whole point of this for of this zero issue is to essentially set up and show what had been going on prior to the start of the first season of the television series with. Archie being upset that Betty left town, so he started fucking his teacher. Sure. Um, Jughead is like a a directionless emo douchebag who's like, I have to get to the bottom of this because this is now Jughead Mysteries, apparently. 
Yeah, pretty much. Uh, Betty's mom is psychotic. Oh, absolutely. She is a demon. <laughs> Funny enough, also for anybody for anybody out there who hasn't seen, um, Betty's mom is played by the actress who played Shelley Johnson in Twin Peaks, which was probably deliberate. I mean, probably. But actually, two actually her and one other acting choice kind of sum up the feel they I think they were hoping for with like so somebody from Twin Peaks and then Luke Perry. Yeah, so nine hundred two one zero and Twin Peaks, basically. Uh, um, yeah, I just, I mean, I, I mean, I guess I could. I don't. I haven't watched Riverdale, so I can only judge by what you've said and this issue. And I don't really like any of it. Yeah, that's fair. It's that is it, totally it's fair. It's the wrong tone. the the sto- The storytelling choices are just sort of. They fit a certain kind of show. They just don't fit these characters. No, you are you're absolutely like, right. Like th- this show, <laughs> the reason this show succeeds is in spite of it being Archie. Okay, and I've heard some people make that argument. Like a, the a, 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 someone had a back and forth about the Archie new the Riverdale show after the first season ended, and where one guy arguing in its defense was saying this is terrible but I always wait for a new episode. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of what it is. And this had no reason to be Archie. Like whatsoever. There is nothing in this. There's nothing about these characters that screamed, "Hey, this is the, this is the fucking new iteration of Archie that everybody was waiting for." This is not the fucking Mark Wade comic of uh, fucking Archie, okay? This is th- this is somebody who was working for CW came up with an idea for a kind of Twin Peaks ish. Well, Twin Peaks ish in the fact that it was set in a small town where a child gets murdered and things start getting weird and surreal. Nope. Oh, they don't. No, they don't. Okay, because I thought in that fact, was the whole point of Twin Peaks that no, no, got it, weird and surreal. No, in Twin Peaks, yes. Like, like, Twin Peaks was already a weird town, and it was us being introduced to that weird town through the weirdness of Special Agent Dale Cooper, who was called in to solve the mystery of Laura Palmer. In this, there is no okay. outside character. There is no fucking person looking in on things, seeing it's weird, but then also he's weird. It is just this wholly insular thing. Where every third episode, they forget there's a murder investigation going on. Like, there's an episode where things just fucking stop so that a slut-shaming potential date rapist and an actual psychopath who may have been fucking her brother crash a house party to say, Hey, fuck you, people who we don't like. And then in the episode, oh, hey, yeah, that murder thing is still happening. Yeah, mm. that's kind of the that's kind of the idea I got from because like the the way this prequel thing is structured is it just tells you where all four of the core Archie characters are at the point before the series starts, and yeah, no, it's just it doesn't work. I don't see how these characters lead into the dynamics, any kind of dynamics that I would find interesting. 
and it also the artwork is just it, it's more realistic than the Fiona Staples art on the main series, but it's in some ways uglier. Also, it's Archie. Do you really need some fucking Alex Ross shit in that? Even when they even when they go horror, it's still it still has like the design aesthetic of Archie as Archie. Well, I mean, I think that's kind of the point that I keep coming back to with this is that the the goal of this Riverdale series seems to be to sort of take the shiny veneer off of the sort of like idyllic small upper northwest U.S. town that Archie is supposed to represent and to sort of take what we think are the archetypes that we know from the Archie comics and then adjust them for a dark, twisty CW teen show. And the result is that you don't, you're not going to please, please people who know anything about any of these characters. And from what I can tell from people who watch the series, a lot of the people who say they like it just like it because it's a train wreck. Yeah, kind of. But it's getting ratings because it's a train wreck, and I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, because that's like how Uva Bowl kept making money for so many We're years. We're getting so. an ironic second season, so I feel like it's a double-edged sword. Yeah. Like, here's the thing. I If this wasn't Archie, if this was just... Random plate, random show named after a random other place in the Pacific Northwest with some other guy, his two lady friends, his kind of weird best buddy, and then everything else that was happening. This show would not have, this show would not have taken off in, in like, I think the way it did, but it would also be a lot better making it and Inversely making it worse, too. Yeah. Like, the show has no reason to be Archie at all. But I think the only reason that it's continuing is because it is Archie. Well, like, think about it. Would we have would we have ever talked about this show in any capacity if it wasn't Archie? No, probably not. It would end up in the same boat as dozens of other one or two season CW shows that they try to hit the demographics and they might hold for a while, but don't last. Yeah, exactly. Like I, this, this would be a show that is like, kind of like so rote and boring that it wouldn't even be a kind of show that I would jokingly threaten to make you or caveman watch. But because this shit is Riverdale, I'm like, hey, coming soon to X and Y, motherfuckers. I'm probably going to get Caveman for that. Seen, yeah, I've seen snippets of this show. I think I, would, I wouldn't I would even really be able to snark at it. I would just be kind of sighing. I'd try to bring in Nico for that, really... too. Yeah, well, you can always mention that to him. Yeah. Uh, so I'm assuming the good Archie thing that you read was the Mark Wade series. Yes. Yeah, he did. That right. is, that's some good eating right there. I, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do a double right here, so you can do a double afterwards. So, uh, yeah, no, so that's fine. I, I read the first two collected volumes of the Mark Wade Fiona St- Staples Archie series, and oh god, it's so good. It's so I good, right? Mean to read. 
I didn't mean to read it as fast as I did. It took like an hour to read two the two volumes. It's just it. Okay, so I mean, I've always liked Mark Wade as a writer. He's one of those. There's like a small list of writers that will always draw me to a series at least temporarily. Mark Wade's on it. Yeah, and I forgot how considering how, how consistent Saga has been, I just keep forgetting how much I love Fiona Staples' artwork. <laughs> Yeah, she unfortunately stick around for long, but Veronica Fish does a decent job picking up the slack. Yeah, I mean, it's, but she's not Fiona Staples. <laughs> I'm aware. I'm just, for anyone who doesn't know, Fiona Staples did leave the series after a couple issues, get replaced by Veronica Fish and one or two fill-in artists. If you, if you, are, if you, want, if you want to get into this Archie comic, I don't want you to all of a sudden be shocked at the sudden art style shift. Yeah. It's close enough. It's yeah, it's like good. They, it this yeah. this fucking this fucking series does what Power Rangers does, kind of, of taking this incredibly dated, weird fucking relic of some bygone era, keeping all the fucking character dynamics the exact same, but then up- updating it in a way that actually feels like a real update. See, I don't think it's dated in any way. I think it's these are very rote archetype characters that we know all too well. Yeah, but I'm, I'm I'm talking about like they, uh, I'm talking about um, like you know character design, wardrobe, setting, okay, all that stuff. Fair enough. Yeah, mm-hmm. you fucking go look at Archie. Nobody fucking walks around in a sweater vest and bow tie. Yeah, no, I agree, and that's what I, I'm like the all that stuff is dated, and that stuff was largely removed. Uh, yeah, stuff that it was updated. It it is these it is these archetypes, these characters with these relationships in the modern day. And it works. Yep, it really does. I really enjoy this one. Like, I I actually got kind of sad when I got to the end of Volume 2, and it just ends with that Betty has gotten past her whole resentment of how things fell apart with Archie when they were dating and is trying to be supportive of him and Veronica right when Veronica leaves because her father made an ass of himself in town and decided to go somewhere else. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That. And from what I've heard about the shit that goes on with Cheryl Blossom, I'm kind of looking forward to that. Yeah, it's really great seeing Cheryl and Veronica have a bitch off. <laughs> I just the lengths <sighs> that Veronica goes to. Oh, so good. Yeah. And Jughead. But Jughead's yeah. fucking great as just this kind of Jughead's great. He, once Cheryl Blossom gets involved in the plot, he is just a kind of fantastic dick to her. Oh, yeah. I mean, I just, I love that Jughead is this character in this series where his only devotion is to his friends. Absolutely. Other than that, he gives no shits. He will betray anyone, scheme against anyone, work to, if it is not directly harming Betty, Veronica, or specific, or more specifically Archie, he does not care. Yeah. <laughs> Which is why I appreciated when they both had Archie and he had a dark moment. It's like, yeah, Reggie Mantle's a dick. We need to. We've been meaning to bring him down for years. We just finally have to do it. It's like, okay, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Greaser, son of a bitch, needs to go down. <laughs> yeah, and. They did a one shot just a couple weeks ago of Moose, and I, I think I love Moose. I don't. I, 
I think they've mentioned Moose a few times in the volumes I've read. I don't think I've been able to pick him out specifically as yeah, a character yet. Moose has appeared once or twice, but mo- ma- mo- uh, mainly as like a background character. Uh, he gets he gets like the spotlight a couple of times, and then he also gets a one shot issue. Just call I think it's called, I think it's called like the Big Moose one shot. Okay, and it's just and it's just a fucking week in the life of Moose. It starts out with him. It starts out with him like. It starts out with him like, "Oh, I'm hungry. I gotta go. I gotta go get a snack. I don't have any change. Mitch, can I have a dollar?" And Mitch is like, "No, you can't, because you don't only don't eat that junk food." And then Jughead coerces him, and the Jughead gets gets a dollar by coercing him to fucking give up his fucking meatball subs every day. And there's another bit where fucking like Reggie steals Dilton's fucking computer or whatever. So Moose beats the fuck out of Reggie. <sighs> yeah, and that's the, that's the thing about this series. It's just the characters work so well, and I think it, even if it's not as good as the uh, which, the Fiona Staples art style, the art style and all in both in the two volumes I've read really works for these characters. Yeah, real expressive and, and real simple. As, yeah, and as kind of proof of that, uh, the two volumes I read also featured. Um, single issue like uh what do you call it uh supports for the new series for other series that are tied to the archieverse and some of those even though i kind of want to read them don't work as well (laughs) like uh like the jughead series uses the art style from uh the unbeatable squirrel girl series and that's just kind of distracting yeah a little bit it is (laughs) It's just a bit off to see to see the Squirrel Girl art in something that isn't Squirrel Girl. Yeah, especially when it's so like blatantly the Squirrel Girl art. Like no, like no, 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 like change in the coloring. No change in like even a subtle change of like changing up how they do basically anything. And it's just hey, yeah, it's ready to see fucking Doreen swinging to Riverdale with tip fucking. Tippy, whatever the fuck the squirrel's name is, it's been a while since I've read that book. I think it is Tippy, but yeah, no, it it is it is one of those cases where I haven't encountered this as much with Western comics, where the art is so distinctly tied to a specific series that you have a hard time enjoying a different series by the same artist. You're like, why isn't Squirrel Girl here? <laughs> yeah, a few artists do manage to um, like switch it up either by changing the coloring or the shading or. Just doing something like Jeff Lemire, all of, all of his books use like very similar art styles to what his art is, but they all manage to feel different. Yeah. And on the other side of the spectrum, a series where the art's very distinctive to an artist, but just does not work as comic book art. Uh, they also showed um, what is it, the guy who the Archie and Betty Archie versus Betty series with the art by that guy who apparently just does nothing but cover art now. Adam Hughes? Because when you look at his, Adam Hughes, yeah, because when you look at his art interiors, it just looks like cover poses no matter what you're looking at and it's just irritating cuz it's all these weird poses that's like are you sure you two are having a conversation cuz you look like you're about to go to battle of the bands. Yeah, it also looks like not finished. Yeah, that too. 
Like there's a lot of color missing. It's just shading problems. A lot of background Some, missing. A fucking like three page yeah. joke of oh hey hot dog ate all the fucking shit in here. Ugh. But yeah, no. All all the love in the world for the Mark Wade Archie series. I keep for I keep finding more and more reasons why I love Mark Wade, and I, as someone who was always kind of iffy on the whole Archie concept. I mean, because I mean, I've gone to the grocery store. I know Archie is a thing. And it's weird to to say that sentence, but I've heard people say, yeah, that's how I know Archie's a thing. I've been to the grocery store. And yeah, just it's fucking Archie Andrews represent fool. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I love this series. I'm going to, I'm going to keep, I'm going to collect them in volumes though. I'm kind of, Except for one or two series, I'm kind of burnt out on reading individual issues. As much as this one's almost kind of compelling me to, it's kind of hard for me to do that these days. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. That is that's probably that's probably a better way to go about reading it instead of like issue to issue. The Archie reads better as a digest, I think. Yeah, and, and both of the first two volumes felt like complete story arcs that did not drag themselves out like certain other comics that I'm going to have to finish talking about next time. <laughs> but yeah, so um, yeah, totally totally glad I read this, and yeah, you and Nico were right, this is a great series, and it was a nice palate cleanser after Riverdale was just so weird. <laughs> Damn fucking Skippy, son. Anyway, now for my yeah. twofer. Now let's just bang the DC stuff out. So, Super Sons. They just reached the end of their first arc, and boy, are those dudes grounded. You mean Damien and John did something to piss their dads off really bad? Uh, no, Damien and John did, John did something to piss off uh, John's mom and Alfred. That's actually worse. Yes, it is. <laughs> so for those who haven't been following uh, the storyline, it is uh, Damien Wayne and John Kent, the two of them, teaming up. Mostly against John's will, uh, in yeah. order to in order to investigate like disappearances of some people uh, that are somehow tied to Lex Luthor and the Amazo virus. Also, I just realized this: is it weird that this is an exact reversal of the Batman and Superman dynamic, where Superman was all about teaming up, and Batman only kind of did it whenever he really needed to? Yeah. Meanwhile, in this, Damien's like, hey, fucko, you have all this power. You're fucking helping me. And Damien's like, but I don't want to get grounded. My mom will kill me. <laughs> Damien's like, bitch, I'll kill you. And John really should have just laughed at him at that. <laughs> he kind of does. Like, like whenever Damien tries to threaten him, he just fucking laughs. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, these two um, went after this kid. Um Whose real name escapes me, but for the purposes of this, we're just going to refer to my supervillain name, Kid Amazo. Where he can, like, make robot duplicates of anybody and, like, copy their powers and stuff. And so, in the final issue of it, uh, you know, John and uh, Damien, they save his sister and the rest of his family, who were actually a small-time family of superheroes who got their powers from the Amazo virus. That thing that happened back in Justice League when Jason Fabic got introduced. And then Lex Luthor shows up and is just a colossal dick and really out of his depth. 
like like so often he gets interrupted by he gets interrupted in his declaration that he is Superman by just somebody punching him in the face. <laughs> and then as he is being a big old dickhole to the people that were just rescued by two children, those two children just fucking bounce. Make their way back to Kansas, where waiting in John's room is Lois Lane and Alfred, just given the sternest you are fucking dead parent look I've ever fucking seen. <laughs> I goddamn love this book. Just, oh, so good. I'm sad I haven't gotten a chance to read much of it yet. <laughs> you need to change that very soon. Yeah, it sounds like it. Peter J. Tomasi, man, is kind of becoming one of the best writers at DC right now. (sighs) (sighs) Yeah, his track record has definitely been improving in recent years. Because I remember in a period before the New 52 decline, Tomasi was one of those writers I thought was a little too cheesy. But uh, I think... I don't know if it how cheesy Super Sons is, but I feel like a certain degree of cheese is kind of welcomed after how s- hilariously, stupidly dark and emo everyone was during the New Fifty Two era. Yeah, I feel like um, in the in the New Fifty Two, um, Tomasi was not being used to his fullest because he was trying to keep he was, try, he was trying to keep like in brand, I guess, with everything else. Like his run on Batman and Robin was pretty solid i think and even when it even when it did go a bit cheesy i felt like it kept the tone right but the thing that really kind of pushed me away a bit from tomasi was his like wrap-up storyline for superman it was like a 12 it was like a nine or so issue thing that went across like three different series and it was just hey superman's gonna die let's read that you fuckers it means nothing because the new Superman is literally standing next to him before he dies. <sighs> a lot of that just felt like editorial, though. Like, he, like he had this idea, but then editorial was like, all right, so you got to have this, 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 and it's got to be about this long deal with this thing. Go here, do that in order to be, in order to be like, make way for this thing. All right. All right. Get to work. Fucko. But in this, he and... Gleason, who, while not working on this, is still an important part of the Superman book. Feels like he and Gleason are kind of able to do more of what they want now. Yeah, it's working fucking great. It feels like this was kind of the story that he has wanted to tell for a while. Yeah. And that's fucking super. But I'm Tish. Anyway, speaking of Damien and Batman, I guess, uh, All-Star Batman. That's still going on. It's kind of weird. Because I... I don't know why this is a thing. Because it doesn't feel different from any other Batman book. Like anything, anything that was, um, anything, I guess like anything that kind of was like unique about it or like different from the mainstay universe of like, like 
the, I don't know, the more attention to Duke Snyder still being able to write it. This, this just feels like Snyder didn't want to stop writing Batman after he stopped writing Batman. So they gave him a new Batman book. Yeah, because of course. Yeah. So in issue 10, uh, they start things up with a new storyline. It's called the first ally with art by Raphael Albuquerque. So obviously I'm going to keep fucking reading it. And it's an Alfred centered storyline, which I'm fucking cool with. Also, apparently hush is like a fucking idiot because he thinks that, you know, Field medic training in the British military includes plastic surgery. Because that's what it starts out with. Uh, it, yeah, it is Batman and Alfred capturing Hush, Thomas Elliot. And then Bruce wants to get information out of him. So he threatens to have Alfred surgically alter his face back into his own face. And he buys it. Because again, military field medic training includes elective cosmetic surgery. As yeah, so we get through everything, and we get to like final thing with a with Batman finding a dead body with his heart ripped out and like the chest wound held open with giant metal staples arranged in a certain pattern. And intermittently, it's been flashing back to a young boy wearing a balaclava running across the rooftops of London. Then out trying to outrun the cops as they're like chasing him saying, hey, fucking the Wayne guys want you back, bitch. And then you think, oh, yeah, this is about this is about fucking Bruce or whatever in his training days or whatever. And then end of it. Psych, bitch. It's about Alfred. Okay. Yeah, I know. It's not that exciting of a fucking premise. But I'm I'll keep reading it like Snyder is a decent Batman writer. Raphael Albuquerque is a really good artist and I like Alfred. Yeah, it is funny how much um really good art in these comics can get you through sometimes weak to uh mediocre weak to mediocre writing cuz like the writing in Civil War 2 was outright bad and you only survived that because of Marquez. Absolutely. That my God. And yeah, an answer in again, like reiterating my response to that question you asked me earlier of the week. If you get it for free, yeah. The art's really good. Yeah, but that's getting into uh meta our real live stuff. It's just I, I, it's always weird to me whenever I buy something and they say, hey, uh, thank you for buying this. Would you like some free stuff? <laughs> and then you and it's not like and then you it's, have it, to it's not like a pa- when, when you bought like a page or something. It's like a full book or something like, uh, yeah. When that happened, you say, hold up. I got to text my buddy who read this thing. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah, All-Star Batman right now is solid. That's all I can really say about it. Yeah. It's not the doing anything fucking... You and Nico is that it's... Yeah, that's the impression I was getting from you and Nico is that you're both like, yeah, this is good. 
Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is boringly all right. It's not pushing any. It's, so not, it, it's it, not fucking pushing any against any barriers. It's not fucking breaking new ground. It is just, hey, this does enough things to be pretty good. Yeah. Alfred got to drive the Batmobile and shoot Batman out of it like a person cannon. It was. All right, I guess. I don't. It's just nice seeing Albuquerque again. I really like his art. And it was a shame how he was relegated to the Neo Batgirl ghetto. Are they going back to. Let me just check that. Uh, Birdie had subway for a second, so I'm just kind of vamping for time. Yeah, I do not know if the. If they've gone back to the previous artists on that title right now. Okay. Uh, apparently, someone who worked on the art for that is a guy named Christian Wild Goose. Sure. That's a name. There was a. King Arthur movie this week starring a character named Goose Fat Bill. But why, though? Because Littlefinger? I don't know. I mean, look at his art. He's not... The guy's not bad. It's just a shame that, once again, a potentially really good, interesting artist has been relegated to the Neo-Batgirl ghetto. <laughs> This is okay. This this and what they're doing with Spider-Man at Marvel are the two just like the creators are convinced this is a great idea and I'm just like what are you smoking? <laughs> they're smoking editorial. Uh the most dangerous sort of con- <laughs> the, the, the most dangerous of things to smoke. Yeah. And it's not like you can't do a good, like, light-hearted, silly version of, like, younger characters. As a sign, I was, I didn't realize I had fallen, like, 20 chapters behind on JL8. And that <laughs> put a smile on my face. Yeah, JL8 is great. It's just, they make it very clear that that is a younger version and not the sequel to a better, more mature story. Yeah. Like, J- like JL8 is not the sequel to the Richard Donner Superman. Yeah, like if this if this was like it starts out with Batgirl in her full on costume, like regular ass costume, and then it kind of like flashes back to her in her younger days or something, or just says, "Hey, this is what happened fucking like eight years ago in the New Fifty Two timeline before Batman was established as a real thing or whatever." If it was that, I don't think we would have a problem with it really, or at least as much of one. But the fact. That they regressed the character by 10 years and literally set all of her old stuff on fire. Ugh. Yeah. Sorry, now I'm just in a good mood because I was thinking about that scene between baby Lois Lane and baby Superman where she's like, you could have opened that door in the sewers, couldn't you? I said I could, but that would have been vandalism. (laughs) Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> also, kind of funny thing. Uh, the person writing the Batgirl comic right now, um, Hope Larson, this is the first mainstream comic she's worked on. 
I feel like I've heard that name. I'm not sure why. Everything else has been... Her previous work, I recognize one publisher that she's worked for. Oni Press, back in 2006. Yeah, Oni Press, I'm familiar with. It's, Have you ever heard of Adhouse or Athenium? Um, no, I'm looking at her list. Or Farrah, no, Strauss, and Garot? No, I am not familiar with any of these, except maybe the, her version of A Wrinkle in Time, possibly. Other than that, I guess I just know the name for some reason. Or maybe it just sounds like a name I know. Maybe. I don't Maybe because Brie Larson? Or Steve Larson, or... There are many Larsons. Yeah. Anywho. Uh, so, yeah, Batgirl still sucks. And I don't think that's going to change. Which is weird, because... I read an, a recent Supergirl issue where that version of Batgirl crossed over with basically the Supergirl from the CW show. And it was weird to see that Supergirl act, being forced to act like she's much younger than how she acts in the show to try to fit with this version of Batgirl. <sighs> because, you know, the Supergirl in the CW show is actually a mostly mature grown-up woman versus whatever the hell Batgirl is. Yeah, like, Cara Danvers in the show is the person who just graduated, who graduated college a couple years back, but is still, like, somewhat in that mindset. So she's able to be, so she's able to be, like, a bit immature, but still, like, be a functioning adult. Meanwhile, fucking Babs is... He's like a second year university student. But like second year, like undergrad university student, not fucking postgrad. Yeah. Yeah. It's like she got once, her once graduate get, degree. She got her graduate degree and decided to go back to undergrad. Yeah. <laughs> she's the per, she, she's a person who fucking made it through that, saw the outside world, and then got too scared and ran back. Oh, God, it's too much responsibility out here. Wait, you mean I have to wear real clothes? No. I want to live with my roommate who supplanted my old roommate for reasons I still cannot comprehend. Why wasn't that a think piece? Fucking a guy dresses up as a woman and then like gets punched and it's like, oh my God, she's horrible. She's fucking bashing transgender people. But then they get rid of an actual transgender character for the sake of some fucking asshole and just, yeah. I don't understand people. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> anyway, Birdie, what else you got? <laughs> I had to think of something okay, to fucking um, talk about. <laughs> Dead man's having himself a little cry. <laughs> oh, God. And where's Richie? He was all right. His leg heal up? Does he now have... Does he now, like, take an extra large step trying to get into his car to avoid bear traps? What the fuck happened to him? Instead, no, let's watch her fuck Penguin's kid. Because somebody fucked the penguin. That's the most disturbing part about all of that. 
the idea, the like confirmed idea that the penguin, the fucking weird, like roly poly gangster asshole had sex with a person. Oh, yeah. I feel unclean. Well, how about we talk about something far less complicated and far sillier? What would that be? Empowered y la soldera del amor. (laughs) 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 This is stupid. I never would have guessed. So this is... If if you if you've read any of Empowered, you know that Adam Warren has a very specific vision of what he like how he likes to parody the superhero mindset. Yeah. Where most mainstream male heroes are cretinous douchebags and most female heroes are sassy bitches or horribly damaged and broken in some way. With the only semi competent well put together superheroine, our main character essentially just being shat upon by almost everybody. <laughs> Including her own powers. Yep. So this is Adam Warren's take on the magical girl genre. Oh boy. <laughs> In that that's when a, she would yeah 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 that's that's a <laughs> so how does it compare to Monica Magica um it's sort of weird uh it's a it's a it's almost an exact inverse where the magical girl in question is in is hilariously cynical but the world around her is more upbeat whereas in Monica Magica the main character is fairly upbeat but the whole world is dark and cynical <laughs> So, um, when this girl was 12 years old, um, a magical pangolin appeared before her and said, do you want, do you want to be a warrior for love? And being a 12 year old girl, she's like, really? Yay. But then cut uh, 10, 15 years later and she's a jaded fuck all this shit adult who essentially goes around fucking with people by shooting them with love bullets to fuck with their relationships. Yeah, that sounds about right. And she's been doing this a lot in the town that uh, Empowered and her friends hang out, work in most often because this is a plan she wants to de- destroy the concept of love. Yeah, that seems attainable. <laughs> or she is going to use her powers combined with some sort of weird villain co- theoretical deatomizer or something that will essentially just erase the ability to feel or understand love in a sealed radius, namely this city. Cause sure. Yeah. You know, Adam Warren. 
Oh my god. Uh, and as much as uh, Imp or Empowered, whichever you prefer, her, her her superhero name is a play on her full real name, Alyssa Megan Powers Imp. Uh, now activating Imp. Oh, come on. <laughs> she and Ninjet are trying to deal with this shit while pretty much every other superhero in town is either getting jealous over some girl or guy that they are or are not fucking or are plotting to undo a relationship that they were cruelly removed from because of La Soldera de la Mor. What? What? I'm still not really picking up what you're actually saying when you say that. Okay, sorry. Um, it Because she's Hispanic, and it, although the title of the book is it, em, Empowered and the Soldier of Love, she goes around calling herself La Soldera del Amor. Okay. <laughs> sorry, I'm not sure that was, I didn't realize that wasn't coming through clearly. And I just kind of like saying Empowered y La Soldera del Amor. It's just kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I see that. Well, that and Imp being tied up by a magical pangolin. I mean, naturally. Who just who just keeps going, hola! <laughs> hola! And of course, because it's a magical girl parody, it's bright pink. Naturally. Yeah, so imagine a pink sand slash floating in the air. <laughs> going, hola! Yeah. Me amo Sancho. <laughs> yeah, this is dumb. <laughs> I never would have fucking guessed. But I, I, I just, I guess, uh, I don't know when I first, I think it was like 2009, 2010, I started reading Empowered. And I've just never gotten sick of this flavor of dumb. I don't know why. Because, <laughs> like, it's, it's not like there's a, a, like, maybe it's because they have the character developing as the series progresses, and there's, like, an ongoing plot as stupid and ridiculous as everything is. Maybe it's the way the characters all interact and kind of develop with each other. Maybe it's that there is, there's this legitimately sad, dark stuff going on under the surface of this ridiculously silly, stupid parody. I don't know what it is, but I always like this flavor of dumb. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So yeah, uh, if you're a fan of Empowered, and as I've collected all 10 300-page volumes up to this point, you will probably like uh, Empowered y la soldera del amor. <laughs> okay, then. Yep. Cool. So go dead, man. All right, so God Shaper. I feel like I've heard this title, but I don't know what it is. It's new. Okay. It is, I believe, two issues deep from Simon Spurrier. Okay, he's kind of hit and miss with me. He's a decent indie writer, but he goes, he's, I'm not always with him. (laughs) And an artist by the name of Jonas Goonface. And you know what? I could totally believe that someone would want to keep the name Goonface. Yeah. 
So, in this world, it is 2017, but everything looks and acts like the like the old west because in 1958, the laws of physics kind of stopped. <laughs> well, okay then. <laughs> yeah, so according yeah, so according to this, I'm just going to read this. <clears throat> In 1958, the laws of physics went screwy. Electricity, ignition, anything that made life easy, gone. No one knows why. And then that was all replaced with gods. Everybody had their own personal deity. Oh, so it's like uh, uh, American gods on cocaine. <laughs> Even more so, because like these gods are like actual physical beings. Okay. Like everybody gets one and they are now a hundred percent tied into the way of life. It is, they are electricity. They are commodities. They are money all wrapped into one being. So like, so like okay, how, then. yeah. So like how like, um, money works now is beads. Um, like, like each God has a, has a certain number of beads in them and the more beads they get, the bigger they get. And so how like stuff works is you pay beads by essentially like praying to your God and transferring those beads to another God. And all of them have like different abilities and stuff they can do. Like one guy, uh, he has a God that lets him print pictures of anything he wants. Even if, even if a picture like that doesn't really exist. Like it starts out with a small child using his God to, buy a naked picture of a like fucking of like a rock star because the because the naked picture I don't think existed before the god puked it up. And so interesting. <laughs> yeah, and so uh some people are born with no gods. They are called no gods. So they're the uh Midorias of this world. Yes, but they do have a special ability in that they can reshape God flesh into into whichever form they see fit. Okay, uh, so like other people bring their gods to these people to have them reformatted. Is es- that what you're saying? Essentially, yeah, it's essentially like a makeover. Like, uh, like the, the way that we see it happen in this thing is that a guy who has a big green rhino-like god says, "Hey." I want to hire you to reshape my god. I have some business coming up. I need my god to look proper. And so then our main character, uh, he he kind of like grabs a hold of him and just starts like reshaping his flesh and making him into a slightly bigger looking red rhino god. And yeah, and then uh, his name is um, Ine. And kind of a really hard swing happens with him. Like when he walks into town, he is, he looks like a drifter. He has like fucking like a tattered, but relatively nice looking suit with like a little like fedora hat on and a guitar case with just like a cardboard sign that says, Hey, we'll shape God for cash. And so he's like, Hey, I'm here to shape your gods. You got any, you got a fucking God shaped? Come see me. I do fucking whatever. And then a couple pages later, he is wearing bright red eyeshadow, bright red lipstick, a barely fitting falling off tank top, and is rocking out in essentially an orgy with a mandolin. 
because he is also part well, of a because he's also part of a bohemian esque music movement called Cantic. I mean, if you're in a if you're in one, I I guess go ahead. Yeah, he just fucking goes, and also he has a god that is weird. So, so when a person dies, their god eventually fades away. Like, like since it is individual, since like gods are tied to individuals instead of like greater people, once their only worshiper is gone, they fade away too. Okay. And so Ine has a god rolling around with him. This tiny little thing, not really that impressive looking. He looks kind of like a cartoon ghost with a variety of fancy hats. And yeah, so like he will like so when Ana rolls into town, uh, he will either say, "Hey, this is my god, fucking whatever," or he will roll into town and have and have his god hang back so that when he, so that when Ana is like you know shaping a god or distracting somebody, uh, his god can break in and just steal shit. And it's it's interesting. It is really. I really like this. It is a very unique world that we haven't really seen like this before. And I, I'm really digging this. It is really cool. Like a goon face. And I will always refer to him as goon face because why not? You, you like the artistic stylings of goon face. Yes, I do. Uh, he he has he has a really good job with uh, and that like, has to be in your little header artistic stylings of Goonface. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. Uh, he actually reminds me he reminds me somewhat of Greg Henkel. Okay, who's a relatively a uh, new artist. Uh, he worked on Airboy and one other book that Nico and I really enjoyed. I think that na- that whose name escapes me. Yeah, Henkel's a really good artist. Don't look uh, at me. This guy, um, in terms of, like flavor, reminds me of him. Uh, and less in terms of style, styling his uh, styling with him, it uh, it does a better job of kind of like a well, it, not not it does not a better job. It kind of s- flips a bit with ha- with having its own like almost SD style to it, like okay. a like a fucking chibi mode to it, where where most of the time it is like all the shading is done with hatching. There are fairly heavy hat, there's fairly heavy hatching on some characters. They do a really good job of showing like really wary lines and like expression lines on them. And then every once in a while, uh, like in the background, the colors will just kind of wash out a bit. The art will get way less detailed and it will be mainly used for comedic effect. Like there's a point where okay. a character, like there's a point where a character is trying to coerce, um, an a into doing a job for her. And then in the middle of all that happening, uh, we just see in the background, Bud just kind of agrees to do the job for her hat. And in the background, we just see Bud putting on the hat and and he just turns around like, God damn it, Bud. Yeah, I, I just like this. I like this really cool world. I like the characters of it so far. I, it's not very often that like counterculture is involved in a story like this. Like it's usually when we get um 
when we get like some kind of thing against the norm of the culture that in whatever fucking post-apocalyptic world we're living in with the story. Unless that counterculture is like the villain. We don't really get much of it, but having Cantic be such an integral part of this character. is really cool. I really dig this. I'm looking forward to more. Okay. I'm looking forward to more of this. This is, this is a really neat book and it's from boom too. Yeah. Well, I mean, boom can put out a good book occasionally. I just think they're less consistent than image. Oh, that's fucking right. Like they are, IDW. they are no image. They are no IDW. They're they fuck. They're not even dark horse. Yeah, true. The, the, so you're saying this is not Harrow County. What is <laughs> Harrow County is kind of the fucking that is the diamond in the dark horse right there. <laughs> like that company, if it ever goes under, like if fucking Jeff Lemire leaves and they get lose all the rights to any other fucking license shit they got going on. Harrow County will be the last book they ever produce, and then Harrow County will exist beyond Dark Horse. Well, I have heard uh, in the next year or two that uh, Mike Mignola kind of wants to put an end to the Hellboy universe, and that would severely cut into Dark Horse's reason to exist. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, like they're, they're, Dark Horse's whole thing is we have Alien, we have Predator, and we have Hellboy. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. What do you got next, Birdie? All right, so my last book of the evening is uh, Violent Love. That's not what I'm thinking of, but it sounds like it would be a good title for the thing that I'm thinking of. What are you thinking of? Uh, Sex and Violence by Justin Gray, Jim Pagliotti, and Amanda Connor, kind of? Yeah, probably. Um, okay, so this is a fictionalized account of real events, and where, within the framing device of this old man telling some teenage girl in the 80s about something that happened in the 50s, the point of this story is that these two criminals like 1950s 1960s version of Bonnie and Clyde got together robbed places killed people raped people did all the crime and all the drugs and all the sex and all of the that stuff that's like living fast and living hard and dying young and they die they will die they make that very clear and it will not be pretty from the looks of it they were hugging each other and shooting people while being riddled with bullets from all sides Looking at this cover, so, this is not th- th- these are not characters that will ride off have happily into the sunset to live their fucking lives in fucking San Juan or whatever. No, they will not. They will die. And and this first issue is mainly to set up the uh female of the two. I wish I had the issue open in front of me so I could remember her name, but Daisy yeah, Jane. Um, Daisy Jane. Okay. Yep, Daisy Jane and Rock yeah. Bradley. So yeah, um Things start off bad for her and just get worse. <laughs> I never would have guessed. Where at the beginning of the book, she's working as a waitress and gets sexually assaulted 
and her boss gets mad at her for reacting to being sexually assaulted by two douche faces in her in the diner. Uh <laughs> Because, you know, 1960. <laughs> yeah, na- I mean, naturally. Like, hey, if you didn't want to get fucking molested, you shouldn't have win such a short skate. Yeah. Uh, so she goes home to with her dad, who's a mechanic. And the whole time that she's talking with her dad, they're intercutting with this douchey mobster who is having someone uh, hammer nails into a guy's arms and legs to torture him for money and information. Naturally, and you don't know what any of this has to do with anything until these these two stories briefly cross paths when the dad accidentally hits the gangster, and you think it's going to end badly, but uh, nothing really comes of it. A uh, couple pages later, uh, the J- Daisy Jane comes home and tells her dad, "Yeah, uh, they matched my tuition money. I'm going to go to college. I'm be able to f- afford it and everything." Uh, when she comes home, she discovers that her dad is a fixer for the mob. Yeah, I mean, naturally. Yeah. So, she, of course, she goes to college, tries to, but she, she never speaks with her father again for several years until he call, until she briefly calls him because, you know, she misses her dad. Just cast trouble for giving him for what she saw. Yeah, and then she... Gets home just in time. I don't know exactly what happened. Maybe the mafia turned on him just to find him stapled to a chair and tied up. And they shoot her in the leg and then tie her up to make her watch while they cover her dad in gasoline and light him on fire. <laughs> wow. That Yeah, that, yep. Yeah, okay. That's that sounds, issue one. Yeah, that sounds like she is having a fucking great day. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, and just oh, I don't. It, it's diff, It's kind of, I'm not sure exactly how to talk about this one because, like, the story, like I said, is pretty basic. Um, I don't know how to describe the art. It's it's going for a pulpy thing, you know, because it's like 1960s, but. It, I don't know how to describe it exactly because it's not exactly like weird. I, I, I have to look at the art again to kind of get a sense of. Uh, does the guy who does covers. the interiors do the covers? Um, I don't. Uh, Victor Santos. I don't know for certain. I'd have to look. I'm bringing it up right now. But. It is funny that uh, I guess I'll have to figure this out in later issues where the two things on the on the cover that are not the title or the names of the creative team are crime and romance. I mean that that's I mean it's called violent love. That's that's how it do. I guess we'll have I guess we'll have to become emotionally invested at some point because otherwise this just could be grim and brutal. <laughs> Um, let's see. Yeah, from uh, from the looks of it, yeah, Victor Santos, the guy that he does all of it, and yeah, it it looks about like that. It's just the colors are a little different, and the colors in the eighties look a little bit more washed out and kind of grim and gray, where there's some bigger flashes of color and stuff in the in the sixties stuff, although. They of course undercut that somewhat whenever they have. They deliberately undercut that whenever they have stuff like 
you know, a guy set on fire or someone being violently tortured or trying for brief moments of happiness before shit just gets awful. Some of it kind of looks like Darwin Cook to me. Yeah, I can like, kind of see especially, that. Especially the 60s um, stuff. Yeah, the 60s stuff, particularly the way women are drawn, feels very much Darwin Cook. I think the men, sometimes it's not really Darwin Cook, but I think that's mainly because this first issue doesn't have a lot of the types of male character designs that Darwin Cook tended to specialize in. It's mostly like fat rednecks or sleazy slime balls and stuff like that. There's a couple that kind of fit the body build aesthetic that Darwin Cook goes for, but it's mostly just the women so far. Yeah. So yeah, I can definitely see if you if you if you're looking for someone who kind of reminds you of Darwin Cook's art style, by all means, to definitely take a look at this. I'm probably going to keep reading it at some point. Just this kind of story, I think I would rather read in collection. I, I got the first issue out of curiosity because that's usually if I'm going to read a, a single issue of anything, it's usually out of curiosity at this point. And this one, I was relatively okay with and although it does have uh, simplistic backgrounds you can still clearly tell what the backgrounds are so it doesn't feel like something's missing and the writing's perfectly good I think this is a story that uh, Frank Barbieri was really happy to talk about but yeah um, totally enjoying this I would recommend it alright cool so final thing For reasons that escape me. Money? Fuck no. <laughs> I read Youngblood. Oh, definitely not the money. I'm not sure they could pay you enough to read Youngblood. <laughs> to be fair, maybe they could. I don't to, know. To be fair, they pay me anything and I might and I might read Youngblood. <laughs> I really need money. We'll give you five dollars for every hour you read Youngblood. Oh god, that's so little, but it's I need the money. It, it, but it's Youngblood. Fuck. <laughs> well, hey, the way I read comics sometimes is I will read a page, then not do anything else for the next half hour. <laughs> so uh, paid work hour. <laughs> yeah, just, just like hey, I'm paid hourly. Like it's there was a point at one time where we had guys working construction on our house. And I was doing work fairly well, and the guys were like, hey, dude, we work hourly. Just fucking slow it down. <laughs> so, <laughs> image, should you ever want to pay somebody to read Youngblood, just know, five bucks an hour, even though that is technically illegal for work, I will be getting the fucking most money out of you I possibly can. It will take Particularly me, if it's Canadian, $5. It will take me 24 hours to read an issue. Partly because of what I said earlier, but also partly because if it is like fucking Rob Liefeld era Youngblood, like actual fact Youngblood, then like 90% of the time will just be me like trying to claw my own eyes out. Yeah. Particularly if as, if as part of the agreement of reading it, they say, you need to sort out the continuity of Youngblood. <laughs> uh, we're need, I'm going to need a raise. <laughs> and like an assistant maybe Could I get like a researcher to do like the one shot me... <laughs> so anyway this new book written by Chad Bowers art by Jim Toe is it's an idea I'm interested in at least okay 
so what it is so far is essentially superheroes working off of a superhero Uber. Which totally makes sense for what this series is going for. Like, yeah. In, in terms of what the original Youngblood was, that sounds like if you were going to update Youngblood, that's how you would do it. Yeah, and this is really weird also because it is a straight-up sequel to Youngblood, I think. Big- so, sequel as in you have to kind of parse out the, the, the chronology of the original Youngblood and figure out how it fits in with this? No, sequel as in if you know any character from the original Youngblood, you will say, oh, hey, that's a Youngblood guy. And then you will know going forward that he's important. Well, like, like they mentioned um, at a certain point fairly early on, um, a guy's doing like a news broadcast talking about young bloods like, hey, where are, they, where are they now? What's happening? What is going on? And then we see that uh, one of the like two of the young bloods, uh, well, one of the young blood diehard is now the president. Another one, I think, is his wife. Uh Shaft, you know, the guy who has bow and arrows and is white. Uh, he, Does he still have the stupid gambit thing? Uh, yes. But not okay. not at first. At first, he's just like a fucking hairy person because he's in prison. But he was let out of prison where he then met Badrock, who is now like cyborg attached to one of those Jawa trucks. <laughs> okay. And might have cancer. Sure. But yeah, I, it's, I'm not it's sure. It's not as bad as you were expecting. You know, that's the thing. I don't think it's bad. I do actually don't think it's bad. It's kind of all right. Is that a bad thing? It's an unexpected thing because it's young blood. Yeah. Okay. Fair. But is it like the fact that it's not as bad as you were maybe somewhat hoping it would be kind of taking the edge off or kind of actually like I, like I didn't know what to expect of this, but I expected the worst. And I came out of this, and I was like, "Oh, hey! Like the art's not awful, and the writing isn't terrible." I. So what you're saying is you had the same initial reaction to it that I did to the Hulk new Hulk series. Kind of, maybe. And like I said, like the idea of the like superhero Uber, I actually really like. It's an idea that they. Kind of did. It's kind of the inverse of what happened in a fairly long story arc in Ant Man. Okay. Where in Ant Man, um, a guy created a supervillain Uber. Yeah, I remember. That was was that Darren Cross? Like they brought him back just because he was popular in the Ant Man movie? Uh, no. This was I think before the Ant Man movie. Like this idea was being brought. This idea was being brought out, and it was the power broker. Okay. Like, Darren Cross was a thing, and then they got into the app. I think it was called right. Hench. Sure. This one is called Help. Okay. And it is, uh, and it's just like, hey. You think if, Huck would work for it? Pardon? You think Huck would work for it? Oh, absolutely. If he knew what a cell phone was, he'd totally work for it. <laughs> but yeah, it's essentially you, just on your cell phone, you say, hey, I am active. I am here to help. And then whenever somebody needs help, they will fucking hit a thing. And then you'll get a message, like a little text message saying, Hey, this person needs help. Here's the address. Here's where they sent the message from fucking go nuts. 
and then you can get ratings. Um, the main character we kind of focus with this uh, is Gunner. She has guns. Okay. <laughs> Truth in advertising. <laughs> yeah, and her, and we see kind of like three things of her helping people out. Um, with star ratings, obviously. First thing is a three star with just a little message thing. Thanks, Gunner. Sorry, our party got out of hand. Phi Kappa Theta. And the next one is like saved my life, blew up my store. And rescued my daughter from human trafficking. Would use again. Hope I never have to. Like, again, it it's a. So, yeah. So Yelp reviews of superheroing. <laughs> yeah. Yelp reviews on the Uber. It is. This is fucking Uber ratings and shit. And I kind of dig it. And that's actually that is that I do agree with you. That's not a bad idea for a a sort of modern day take on what Young Blood was, where it was all about the commercialism and the the characters just being so full of themselves and commercially conscious. Yeah, and so uh, with and so that part of the storyline mainly focuses on um, Gunner Petra, as her civilian name is. As she's trying to hunt down and rescue a friend of hers. Uh, he's a guy who was also on the uh, superhero app. Uh, I do not believe we ever get his superhero name. Unless I think it's okay. man. I think it's man up. <laughs> Which I'm not entire. It. It's really weird with him. We see him running it. Like when we first see him, he is like running out of his apartment building's rooftop, carrying a giant blanket. Then he takes his shoes off and the building begins to turn to water under his feet as the blanket then wraps around him in a super suit. And then he jumps off and is either like weird perspective or is five times the size he was when he, before he jumped off the building. Probably weird perspective. Yeah. Then she is doing everything she can to try to track him down. Like, she goes to the cops and says, like, hey, yeah, I'm doing this stuff. It's like, hey, if you don't fucking know his name, I can't help you. Tries going through the app, but the app is like, hey, we can't really give out personal information like that, so fuck it. And then she just starts going, and then young blood begins happening. Which this, I... Again, it's not bad. It's not... It's kind of all right. Yep. The writing is fine. I think the art is. It's not Youngblood art, so. You know, fucking immediate plus there. And yeah, I I don't know. As this is kind of continuing the image tradition of taking old Rob Liefeld things, scraping all the shit off of it, and making something kind of alright. Yeah, although, um, the what was that the not either it was either glory or um yeah but, but the uh profit that would profit was just insane <laughs> <laughs> i didn't say that i didn't say they didn't replace the old shit with new shit yeah fair enough and like glory i kind of liked for the issue and a half i read it it got weird <laughs> i never would have guessed I'm going to have to finish reading that so I can talk about it at some point, because that one, the whole premise of that one just gets weirder and weirder. Yeah. So anyway, that's what I'm reading then. On to news. 
So first up in a piece of news that Birdie will find either interesting or fucking terrible. Tom King is going to be writing a 12 issue Mr. Miracle series. Okay. It's Tom King, um, noted Batman writer and writer that Birdie hates. <laughs> Having any criticism of a man at all, I am automatically hate him, huh? Okay. That's the narrative. <laughs> all right. Yeah, so he is teaming up with uh, Sheriffs of Babylon artist Mitch Garrids. Oh, that's a good pairing, actually. Yeah, uh, to do a book about Mr. Miracle, this August. Yeah. Uh, he has released uh, two images. Well, actually, no, Tom King did Sheriff's Babylon, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah, okay, so yeah, that, that's re-teaming. All right, that's what I thought. Was a, wait a minute, didn't they work together? Re-teaming. Yeah, that was. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, Tom King has released uh, two images on his Twitter account uh, for this so far, uh, as well as uh, as well as a couple of um, images that were you know previewed. Uh, one of them is, you know, Big Barda and... Mr. Miracle holding hands. The other one is Orion being extra scowly. Because that's what he does. <laughs> yeah. And then we also have, like, and in the pages, it is just like interchanging panels of, of Orion being like different levels of scowly while he beats the shit out of Mr. Miracle. <laughs> and then Big Bart is I'm there. I'm curious why. Big, uh, I'm not entirely sure. Like it, it like it starts out with, well, cause uh, like, I think, cause like from what I understand, the thing people always hated about, uh, Mr. Miracle, at least on the hero side. And I don't know if this is why they hate him is because that he was that hero who was forced to be somewhat complicit with dark side for a long time because he, he and Barter literally had no way out Yeah, for a long time. And so he, it was the biggest magic trick in the world pulling away for him to get him and Barta off of apocalypse but because he was complicit with Apocalypse and all the other people in his new God's world, everyone just kind of hated him for a while. And that he's more, you know, he's an escape artist, so he's not about, like, superheroing. He's like, I sometimes got to do a mission. Yeah. He's, which I kind of like. He's, the, he's which, the guy to get you in and get you out. Yeah. Speaking of which, uh, I don't know if it's ever happened yet, and I've just never seen it. I want a big Barda versus Wonder Woman fight. Oh yeah, totally, dude. I that has to have happened. Yeah, I just maybe I, I just haven't seen it somewhere because like that feels like it should have happened. Absolutely, like maybe in like a Superman Doomsday that storyline or Superman Batman Doomsday where like they reintroduce Kara into the like animated universe. Oh, Apocalypse, Superman Batman Apocalypse. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. It might have happened in that. For all I know, I know she fought the fucking Furies. Yeah. All four, or five of them. Yeah. <laughs> And it was pretty great. Like weird, ki- weird art style of it aside. That's pretty all right. But yeah, so it is uh, three pages were uh, kind of released for this. It is Orion boom tubing into Scott and Bart's apartment where he proceeds to beat the shit out of fucking Mr. Miracle. With every few panels saying dark side is. Mm. And then Barda rips Orion a new asshole. Because that's Barta. <laughs> yeah. Also, she, there's a Mr. Miracle comic on the wall behind her. Okay, yeah. Fair grand service. Also, I just realized, Barta, aside from the fact that Mr. Miracle doesn't show up much, so they don't talk about it, she's one of those 
DC's not all that big on like loyal wife characters all that much. They have some, but I guess it, it, just because of the nature of mainstream comics, they're not that common. Barda might be one of the few. <laughs> yeah, like basically since I've known these characters, they've been together. Yeah, and it's not like they're together because they have to be. They well, it is partially that, but they also do enjoy being together. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. But anyway, uh so so uh King and uh Jiraz, they did a interview with Paste magazine kind of talking about it. And in that interview, um King did say that while the book was inspired by Jack Kirby's original work with the character, um, trying to remake that is like, quote, trying to make Star Wars again or like trying to rewrite the Iliad. But they did that. Yeah, he... It's called the Aeneid. <laughs> he goes on to say, uh, you can take those grand cosmic space opera themes and internalize them and use them to tell a personal story, very personal story. That's what appealed to me about it. We are going to take the bigness of Kirby and turn it into the intimacy of Mr. Miracle's life. Okay. Fuck it. I'm I'm down. That's that's a decent concept. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like him taking similar things to he did with doing the everyday life of a family of uh, phasing cyborgs. Yeah, totally. Despite some minor problems with execution, that was a good story. Uh, So, yeah, I'm totally looking forward to this, particularly with the art style from Sheriff of Babylon I'm just trying to think of that that gr- dark that gritty realistic art style with the Kirby stuff. <laughs> yeah, I'll uh, send you the link with the pages, so you can get a look at it. It is, it works okay, well. That doesn't look bad so far. Yeah, I'm I'm curious. I will probably read. So August, huh? Yeah, I was just like the fact that right. Barda is like visibly almost twice as big as the other two. Because it's Barda. I know. Big. Her name is Big Barda. And I like that. Even in like these, yeah. even in like these really fucking like fucking Barda laying on Scott's lap on the couch, yeah. and she still looks like, like she's twice his size. Like Barda's one of the few people who does not Batman even as small as uh, he, Batman is known to intimidate characters that are more powerful than him. Barda is one of the few who's like, no, fuck you. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> oh God. Like, like in the apocalypse storyline, when she, when when Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman show up saying, "We need your mother box so we can get to apocalypse." She's like, "I'm going with you, and you're gonna get over it now." And he's like, and Batman just stares at her for a second. I'm over it. What about you two? Yeah. <laughs> oh God, or, Bart is so um, good. One of my favorite. Uh, have you watched Justice League action? Uh, a few episodes, yeah. Yeah, one of my favorite ones is when um, Steppenwolf kidnaps Superman. And brings him to a planet with a red sun to kill him. And so to find out where he is, Batman and and, uh, Barda invade uh, Apocalypse and start playing the points game. (laughs) Of course they do. (laughs) Okay, so after the Wonder Woman movie comes out and we determine whether that was good or not, we then have to decide whether or not we start the petition to get a big Barda movie. I'm not sure if I'd want immediately specifically a big Barda movie. I would just kind of like a new Gods movie. Yeah, because sure, fuck as it. Much as, DC, as much as DC wants something as cosmically crazy and ridiculous as, like, Guardians of the Galaxy, fuck, do the new Gods. I mean, the whole reason Guardians and Thor exist is because Kirby... Well, the new Gods are solely Kirby's, like, I, re- I had more stuff I wanted to do with Thor, but 
fuck Stan Lee, so I'll work for DC. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, hey, you got a problem if I make fucking Santa Claus God? No? Okay, cool. Fuck it. Hi, Father, then. Let's do this. Uh, anyway. Yeah, totally. I would I would pay for a new Gods movie. Absolutely. Which means we will never get it. Yeah. Or it'll be written by David Goyer. <sighs> Anywho. Moving on. So. DC has announced that next year uh, they will be releasing in collected edition uh, the Rachel Pollock run on Doom Patrol. Okay, I'm not familiar with this run on Doom Patrol. My only knowledge of it is the Grant Morrison run, which was batshit insane. This is the run that took place immediately after the Grant Morrison run. Okay. Which is why you never heard of it. Is that like the Cliff Chang thing? Like, it, it was not bad, but it followed one of the best Wonder Woman runs, so people were kind of like, eh. I mean, probably. Because I'm not familiar with this at all. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Morrison left the book with issue 63. Pollock took over in issue 64, and her first issue was also the uh, first issue of Doom Patrol under the Vertigo imprint. Okay. Yeah, I do not know much about um, Pollock's run, mainly because I didn't know she had Don't one. care. Yeah. Yeah, according to Wikipedia, Pollock's run dealt with issues such as the generation gap, humanity, identity, transgender issues, bisexuality, and borrowed elements from Judaism and Kabbalism in the last few issues. Yeah, well, I mean, given... The kind of stuff Doom Patrol would get into it under the Grant Morrison run, getting into that kind of stuff under Vertigo does not seem all that strange. No? Oh, she also worked on the new Gods a bit. Again? Working on stuff tailing out of Grant Morrison type things? I totally see it. Yeah. It looks like uh, she was in between uh, Tom Payer and John Byrne in Volume 4 of the New Gods. That was in the right, 90s. Well, that's, an, that's a weird in-between, because John Byrne, I think it would have just gotten funny, if a little too self-aware, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Who knows? But yeah, so that will be um, happening next year with uh, Doom Patrol Book 4, which will which will collect uh, issues 64 to 74, Doom Patrol Annual Number 2, and Vertigo Jam Number 2. I just started reading the Grant Morrison Doom Patrol run with the first volume, and yeah, it'll it'll be interesting to see anybody pick up from that. <laughs> yeah, basically, because you're getting into the same territory there, like the um, the the uh, Peter David Supergirl run from the '90s. Where you're like, I don't know what's happening, but I must keep going. <laughs> No, that's the thing. Like Doom Patrol, even though it has like the weirdest shit, it has one of the most like easy to follow things because of one guy, motherfucking Cliff Steele. Because <laughs> every other character in that is fucking insane or some genius or whatever. Cliff is a dude in a robot body. Oh yeah, I, for- I forgot how much I like that guy. Yeah, he is the fucking best part of most Doom Patrol things because while everybody else is like in this cosmic shit, Cliff's just like, "What can I punch? I need to go home." 
I punch to deal with the existential fates of my the existential problems of my of my of my continued path. And that continues over into the fucking uh, Gerard Way run, like when uh, like when Cliff and the rest of the fucking Doom Patrol meet up with the weird like wireframe aliens who wireframe aliens who have been using Danny the Street now Danny the Ambulance in order to make hamburgers. And a fucking oh, like, okay. and a fucking super villain from a comic book that Danny made that gave birth to the main character of this Doom Patrol, and he's fucking monologue. And Cliff's just like, "Fuck you!" punches him in the face and tries to run away. It was great. Sounds like it. And then Cliff's body gets blown up because the brain puts his butt puts his brain inside the body that gained sentience and self-destructive body was in it. And then he and Monsieur Mala blew up after they started making out. Because that is a thing that happened, and this is why I love comic books. Yep. Speaking of those, let's talk about Doomsday Clock. Okay. Doomsday Clock is an upcoming Jeff Johns book that will answer what the fuck is going on with Rebirth. Uh, Okay. Yeah, so um, for those... Who have not read Rebirth? For those who have not read The Button, uh, that book, that l- little bit ended with um, the Reverse Flash finally dying, getting sent back to where when he left, and then we see Doctor Manhattan's hand reach down and pick up the comedian's button, and then it gets the Watchman Doomsday Clock at a couple minutes to midnight, with the final tick being the Superman S. And yeah, then it says, Jeff Johns, Gary Frank, Brad Anderson, November 2017. Okay. So, this will be... Yeah, so this will be the next big step in trying to piece together what the fuck Rebirth is. It's going to be tying into Dr. Oz somehow, who is a character who's been who we're told is important, but hasn't really done anything in any of the books that I've read other than just stand there and look important. Yeah. I will say, thanks to Linkar's recent um, Crisis on Infinite Earths video, I now understand the importance of Psycho Pirate's mask being involved in this. Yeah. So John's um, has talked a bit about the event, uh, saying that it is not a Watchmen sequel and that the story will be standalone not interrupting or tying in to any other currently ongoing DC storylines. Okay, fair enough. So they're learning. <laughs> yeah, it took them a while. Yeah. So John said, quote, we're not going to do a story like this unless we 1000% believe in it. It is all about the story. It is only about the story. There are no crossovers, no watered down one shots or mini series on top of this one. This is a standalone story. There is only doomsday clock. We had no interest in doing a crossover with this. We didn't we didn't want to see Dr. Manhattan facing off against Superman in action comics with all due respect. That's not what this is about. It is about something different. It will have an impact on the entire DC universe. It will affect everything moving forward and everything that has come before. It will touch the thematic and literal essence of DC. Okay. So yeah. Neat. Cool. Maybe once they collect all the rebirth stuff, 
together, I'll actually read it. For now, it seems too scattered for my taste. It's pretty all right. I've heard that. And I also just saw a solicit for something coming in August, and I was like, oh, right. Stajepa Sajik's doing Aquaman. Yep. When is that going to yep. happen? God damn it. More importantly, when is he getting back to his sequel to Sunstone? God damn it. He, he did a dump a while back. <laughs> just like 19 pages or something. So. Let's talk about the runaways. Is uh, are they rebooting the comic again or is this the TV series stuff? This is comic stuff. Okay. So, just recently, uh Marvel released a teaser image thing uh drawn by Chris Anka detailing Nico. Nico Minoru's Instagram. Yeah, I was about to say Nico. Wrong Nico. He's, yeah, really, we, he's, he's moving up in the world. There are multiple. <laughs> there, yes, there are multiple Nicos. This is the magic one, and the lady one. Okay. Yeah, so it I'm is. Really uh, happy to know that. Yeah, so it is her standing there doing whatever, and with, with and then there's a tagline: "Get ready to run, coming 2017." Shortly after that, one was released for Chase, who now has a man bun for some reason. Okay. And his thing also, bunch of text. And they get ready to run. And then I got one for Old Lace, which is just roaring. But with a question mark. Because Old Lace don't know what the fuck's happening. Roar? Yeah, basically. <laughs> basically that. Yeah, just roar. Get ready to run. Or, given his recent cancellation, eh? <laughs> <sighs> the Runaways is coming back, and it's like actual Runaways. And but like, I, I, I do have to warn you, Dead Man. Like this, the, they've broken your heart with this series before. You should be careful. <laughs> I'm fucking aware. <laughs> do you think I've forgotten everything Marvel has done? Are these fucking characters. No, because I know you care even more than Cora does, and Cora, who's not really a comics person, still feels the need to rant about stuff that happened in the in the Runaways book to me every now and again. Runaways is my favorite superhero team, motherfuckers. And it's it's actual Runaways now, not just some fucking truncated version that are in some death game bullshit or just a team that calls themselves Runaways. This is fucking Nico. This is Chase. This is Old Lace. Fucking Molly is probably going to be there. I was about to say, you can't have Old Lace and not have Molly. Maybe fucking Zavin will come back from being a prisoner of the fucking Mandalorians or whatever the fucking race took him, ca- fucking, took him captain. Captive. <laughs> maybe maybe they'll finally yeah, no, ex- I, maybe, I mean, maybe they'll finally explain that fucking bullshit Teen Titans animated series ending where Gert came back from the dead for a hot second. And the chase got hit yeah, by a car. Yeah, I would not want a. a uh, I would. I mean, I'm not that big a Runaways fan, and I still would not want a Runaways series without Molly Hayes. You can't have it. She is. <laughs> she is the team mascot, essentially. Yeah. 
yeah, so we don't really know anything else about the series, or if this even is a series at this point, just these three teaser images with the phrase, get ready to run. So I'm looking forward to that. Coming later this year. Finally, Marvel has registered a trademark for Spirits of Vengeance for use in comic books, printed periodicals in the field of comic book stories and artwork, downloadable electronic publications, and education and entertainment services. So they're making another Ghost Riders series. Potentially. And given the popularity of Robbie Reyes, it's going to involve him. Well, yeah, I know, because they... I I don't know if you've seen this or not, but this just made me annoyed. They made a... Uh, a Venomverse tie-in where Robbie Reyes' Ghost Rider gets possessed by Venom. Fuck you. That's that hot shit. Sense? Literally. Literally hot shit, because it's the... It's the dumbest fucking garbage I've ever heard. And of course, given your hatred for this, that's that's a follow-up to the Gwyn, the Gwynpool Venom issue. Oh, hi. Because someone apparently likes Gwynpool. Is it the same person who likes Silk? (laughs) Maybe. Is it Dan Slott? Is that who it is? Did Dan Slott send himself send himself a letter saying, "Hey, saying, hey, Silk was great." Also, you know, it'd be really cool. What if like Deadpool was like Gwen Stacy? Yeah, yeah. But like, take away everything else about Deadpool that makes him like interesting and like, you know, a character. Yeah, and just say, "Hey, look, blonde now." Tits. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's that that was the pitch meeting. That was it. That was my perfect recreation of the pitch meeting of the person who came in there and said, Hey, yeah, you know that variant cover that we made that was kind of funny? What if it what if we made it worse? <laughs> what if we made it an actual thing? Everybody uh, else was too fucking high on cocaine to say no. Oh god. Sorry, and I know I know Gwynpool is a PTSD thing for you. <laughs> Gwynpool is one of my trigger words. <laughs> Continue. I didn't mean to derail this. That's it. <laughs> Well, that's ending on a bad note. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's ending on a bad note for me. Might be entertaining to listen to. (sighs) Just 20 minutes of you screaming about how much stupid of an idea Dead Gwenpool is. What fucking retarded asshole went into an office and said, hey, you know what would be a good idea? Now hear me out on this. Gwen Stacy, but Deadpool. And then which fucking cum bucket said, go on? 
Fuck. Fuck. <laughs> Looking forward to the next series where Gwen plus to go to university. She meets. She meets. Uh, she meets. Um, America. Uh. <laughs> Thank you all for joining us. <laughs> we'll be back in two weeks' time with an episode of the DestroProds.com comic book podcast. In between now and then, though, please send Dan Slot letters saying how stupid Gwenpool is. Until then, I'm dead. And I am the bird that annoys the dead man. We'll see you guys next time. <laughs> <laughs>